you know, if ever there was an area of business where the human capital is paramount, it's in sales. I mean, you know, we went through this in our our previous uh, discussion, but this notion that somehow it's a digital eats physical world is simply unsupported by the data. Sales remains, even in an omni-channel buying world, it remains a people first sort of activity. That doesn't mean the digital tools are not relevant, are not changing buying processes dramatically, can help you with training and coaching and development. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of purchases are still people buying from people. So, you know, the, this, this is just built in to us as social creatures, and it's fundamentally what the sales function in any business is about. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Frank Cespedes. Frank is a senior lecturer at the Harvard Business School and is the author of several books on sales, including his latest one, Sales Management That Works, How to Sell in a World That Never Stops Changing. It's always an educational conversation, for me at least, when I have a chance to talk with Frank and today's no exception. We start by talking about the looming threat of recession and what that is going to mean for companies and their sales teams that have embraced the growth at all costs model. We talk about the threat to those companies that have over-indexed on a volume approach to business development and selling, especially low-win-rate SaaS companies, and we dive into the challenges they're going to face as the economy slows down. Challenges including learning how to execute a process that enables them to compete and win a much higher fraction of the opportunities in their pipeline. We also dive into a discussion on Frank's favorite chapter from my new book, Sell Without Selling Out. That's the, title that's the chapter titled, excuse me, Are You a Sales Leader or Merely a Sales Boss? And we get into some of the differences between being a sales leader and being merely just a boss. We get into all this and much, much more, but before we get to Frank, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, wherever you listen to podcasts. I also urge you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening your decision cycles without resorting to the salesy behaviors that buyers dislike. It's available everywhere. You shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it. Frank, welcome back to the show. Andy, my pleasure. Thank you very, very much for inviting me back. Yeah, you're you're interrupting your vacation, it sounds like. You're you're out in uh, Western Massachusetts. Look, Andy, you know this. I, I am a, a professor once again. Uh, life is an interruption yep. of the vacation. It's not so bad. <laughs> true, true, true. So, um, yeah, so also for people that haven't heard you on the show, you've been on a couple times before. Uh, tell us about yourself and what you do. Well, I mean, again, my uh, background is is just not that exotic. I don't want to pretend that it is. Uh, I uh, was an academic at Harvard's Business School for about uh, 11 years, made my way up the hierarchy. Then I left with some others. We started a business. I ran that for 10 years, and we got lucky. 
Um, you know, when necessary, I can always spin this a different way. But it was dumb luck. We sold at exactly the right time. Uh, Harvard called me back up, said, how do you like to be a professor? And Andy, after you've made some money, being a professor is a good, good life. Never feel sorry for me. A good gig. Right. Yeah, well, I take it you're, you came back in, you're probably not tenure track at that point. So you're just focusing on teaching and so on. Well, teaching and writing, which is the reason I became an academic in the first place, you know, sure. it's, a, it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, last time you were on, we talked about your book, which is a great book, um, Sales Management That Works, and uh, definitely a book listeners should read. Well, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for that. And I certainly hope they do. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's <laughs> one of the things I enjoyed about it was just, fresh, fresh perspective on, on sales management that's so desperately needed at this time. So, um, yeah, one, yeah, one of the things I want to chat about <laughs> at the beginning here is, and you and I touched on this before we started recording, is the coming or looming recession, if you will. And, you know, so many companies, uh, certainly the tech space, yeah, bought into this growth at all cost model. Yeah. And as you and I have talked about, many of them never really learned how to sell. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, you you know the old saying, uh, predictions are risky, especially about the future, right? The predictions about the past. Yeah. Neil, Niels Bohr, uh, are, yeah. Or the easy ones. Uh, and uh, I don't know that much more than uh, economists do, but I don't mean to brag when I say that because they're not particularly good at forecasting these things. But my take is that you're raising the right issue. I do think that uh, the central banks around the world, um, their timing has not been good. I think the odds of a recession are high. And in fact, it may be, it may be worse than that. It may be what 30 years ago we called stagflation, both inflation and a recession. Uh, and I think there are a couple of implications for that, uh, in, especially for tech firms, but not only for tech firms, I think for sellers and sales managers. But let me start with tech firms. The reality is for sure. over a decade, for about 13 years or so, we've had negative real interest rates. It, you know, I, a, a VC said this to me a couple of years ago, and I think he ex was exactly right. He said, it's never been easier, at least in the United States, never been easier to start a business and never harder to scale it. Now, I think both things become harder because the money is no longer free. And it's very difficult right. to do what a number of tech firms have done, go public when you haven't made a single dime of profit yet. I think those days are fast mm -hmm. disappearing. And so one of the implications is how do you make money? That This is where you and I live. I, and, I, you know, I think you and I worship in the right. same church this way, Andy. I don't really care whether we call it mm -hmm. sales, marketing, or asparagus. Profitable business development becomes more important. Then we get to the issue of right. inflation and a possible recession at the same time. With inflation, I think the, the, you know, lots of people talk about raising prices. My experience with that, both in the firm I ran and, you know, 
observing this 30 years ago, that's actually the easier part. I do think one of the issues, though, is to think about where pricing authority resides in the company, because when you look at comp systems and sales, most salespeople have a big incentive when you're in an inflationary environment to say, listen, let's keep our price, don't raise it, then we can do more. I think you've got to think about Mm -hmm. the manager having more control over pricing. But the big issue is what it does to the rest of the business model. And as you know from our previous uh, conversations about my book, that's one of the things I talk about there. Sales is increasingly, for lots of reasons that are not going away, increasingly a cross-functional activity. So selling is more intimately connected now with those other areas that inflation makes more difficult. Then when it comes to recession, the basic supply. If you cannot articulate your value proposition and the outcomes crisply and to the point, you're not well prepared for a recession. That basic in sales becomes even more important when budgets at clients inevitably tighten. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's really where the <laughs> the, the real problem is going to exist is that, you know, I look at the tech space and yeah, people I talk to on the show and other parts of my work is, is yeah, they're operating on relatively, you and I talked about this, relatively low win rates based on the number of opportunities they're working on. And so sales execution is, as you and I know, it is not a priority. You know, they're content to, to focus more on top of funnel and just sort of taking a percentage off of that and being happy with that percentage. But when activity levels or the potential for the, what happens at the top of the funnel starts to contract or stay static, you can't improve how you execute, then you're in real trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I, you know, but I think that that change will happen and it will happen in a hurry. I think the investors will get it. That's my experience sitting on boards, working with VC firms. I think the people running sales have to be prepared for that. There's a difference between simply going for volume and going for profitable value. There's a big difference there. Mm-hmm. Well, so how do, if they've been operating in this, you know, the first mode about growth at all costs, um, volume oriented, how do they reorient themselves to execution? Because I think that part of it is not yeah. just, hey, here's here's a change of tact for us. But I think they've staffed themselves and trained themselves for the growth at all costs, and they may not have compatible resources. Yeah. I, I, my take on this is that there are three dimensions to doing that, you know, to that, that pivot that uh, the external mm-hmm. environment is very likely uh, to require. The first one is fundamentally a strategic issue. Do we know who our target customers are and are not? You know, what in sales we call customer selection, what the strategy people in their jargon call scope, the scope of the business, Mm -hmm. where we play and where we don't play. And here I think sales has got to be more rigorous about that, because when you look at that 
model that you and I have been talking about, you know, don't worry about it, grow big fast. In that model, generally speaking, there is no such thing as a bad customer. But stagflation or whatever you want to call it does create bad customers. False positives are increasingly expensive in an environment like that. Then the next issue is a management issue, sales management. Here I'm going to return a compliment to you, your your new book, which I think is excellent. Your distinction, Thank you. uh, which I think you get very specific about, <clears throat> between a sales boss and a sales leader <clears throat> becomes more important. And the, the characteristics, the behavioral characteristics that you attribute to sales leaders Do they understand their people? Do they coach them? Do they develop the requisite capabilities? Those things become important. Managers must manage in that sense. And then the third thing I'll say, and this is part of what you quite rightly talk about as well as I do in my book, and this sounds humble, but I, throughout my career, it's astounding to me how many um, uh, sales managers ignore this the importance of performance reviews, performance evaluation, and development. So much Mm -hmm. of the important information required for customer selection, required to develop the capabilities of salespeople, does not reside in the CRM system. It resides in the skulls of the individual account managers, etc., And you only get at that. You only make it visible and actionable when you do good performance reviews and coaching. And when managers don't do Mm -hmm. that in any environment, but especially the one we're talking about, they not only uh, perpetuate a culture of underperformance, they inhibit the the flow of vital information, especially when inflationary pressures combined with potential recessionary pressures are essentially what's affecting your customers. So those would be the three things, you know, that I would uh, outline. Well, I mean, those are, yeah, those are right at the heart of things. I I think that, you know, you talk about, you know, coaching is, as you think about it, is right now there's a huge perception gap between the amount of coaching that sellers report they receive versus the amount that sales managers say they're giving. And if we assume that it's probably more correct <laughs> the figure on the part of the, the sellers, the excuse is always given is that ah, too busy, right? I'm too busy managing right. the metrics and reporting and so on. It seems like for a sales leader that it takes going to take a certain amount of gumption, courage, if you will, to be able to push back in this environment and say, yeah, no, we need to make a change. We have to do these things that you describe. Uh, but, you know, there are, at the same time, they're feeling this pressure is that, you know, average tenure for, at least in the tech world, for, you know, CRO is like less than 18 months these days. It's like, they don't feel, I think, like they have the, the latitude or the time to make substantive changes. Yeah, but, you know, I, I would... Um... I think, I think, yeah, it takes gumption, but I think it's always, and this is, uh, you know, I like to quote the gangster movies. uh, uh, And, you know, when I say to sales managers, when, when they say exactly what you you said, which is obviously 
where they live. I always say the same thing. Remember, you chose this life. All right. Uh, you know, that, that's that's the line I take from the uh, gangster movies. Right. And I think it's important right. to recognize a few things. One is the nature of the life. Right. Uh, and this is not mm -hmm. just for sales managers. It's important for their investors to understand the CEO, etc. Change is always especially difficult in sales for systemic reasons. The major mm -hmm. one is that so many other resource allocations in the business depend on sales forecasts and the ability right. of the sales force to meet those forecasts. And that's why in sales, we have these metrics that focus on what are you doing by month, by quarter, annually, et cetera. When the metrics reinforce that, salespeople focus on that. And the, the danger is that even when the market changes, they stick with the devil they know, right? They avoid right. the transition costs. Well, that's how companies right. get disrupted. That's how you fail. The second thing is the issue about I'm too busy to do coaching performance reviews with, uh, with my people. And, and again, the question I always ask is too busy versus what? What's the alternative use of time? Uh, and here, I think it's important to understand cause and effect. It's people performance that drives financial performance, not the other way around. Even though most companies do their strategic planning bass backwards, right? They start right. with the numbers and then they say, oh, yeah, let's yep. not forget about people. Performance in the field is people, then the numbers. And, you know, if you can come up with a lot more things you can do, that are more valuable than incrementally increasing the productivity of your salespeople, let me know. But I rarely uh, see that. So I think the I'm too busy rationalization is a rationalization. And salespeople want the feedback. They want it. And they yeah. don't, not because they're learning mavens, but because they want to make more money next month, next quarter, next year. So I think this one I put on the managers. Oh, I agree. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I don't. I think you're right. It's a rationalization for doing something to not for avoiding doing something that they're just yeah. a they're not trained to do for the most part, and thus they feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Or perhaps but, uh, but less than let me, let me add, doing it. Let me add one other thing to that because this is something I see, and and I'd be interested to do, uh, compare notes with you, Andy. But something sure. that I see happening big time in the last six to 12 months because of the current state of the labor markets, and that is the hiring mm -hmm. there. We need people. We need right. people who has a pulse, that kind of thing. Right. It's no coincidence right. that one of the oldest aphorisms in sales is, remember, you hired your problems. Hiring mm. and performance development are intimately linked. We don't like to say this. It's become politically incorrect. But the reality is it's just damn tough to develop someone who's a bad fit for the job in the first place. Right. So, you know, Correct. it's not only the performance reviews in sales. Usually it's that manager who's got the most influence on hiring and they need to exercise that influence. And I think to some degree, I... I again, put the blame more on the manager as well in this regard and that they're not, 
they're not being rigorous enough to use a term you'd used before in terms of defining what they need from the people that they're hiring. Yeah. And yeah, I was having a conversation with a sales leader a month or so ago and they were you know, looking for people, desperately looking for people. And they'd you know, put together their job definition and description of what the person needed to have relative to experience and skills. And I asked the question, I said, so have you ever asked one of your customers or buyers what they need from your salespeople? Great comment. In order to help them uh, get their job done? And it was just this blank stare, like, what planet are you from? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great comment, you know, for two reasons. One is, you know, you've heard me say this before, um, and I know you agree uh, from your book. Most important thing about selling is the buyer, right? Who buys, mm -hmm. why, and how. Those are the tasks. Those are the capabilities you're looking for. And to your point, <clears throat> my experience over the years when I ask uh, the hiring managers in sales, what are you looking for? I tend to get back a kind of long checklist of capabilities that only Michelangelo or Michael Jordan could fulfill, right? Some Renaissance right. man or woman. And I always say the same thing. When you can hire Michelangelo or Michael Jordan, do it. I'm sure they're going to add value. But there are not that many, you know, omni-capable people out there how we've got levers right. under our control that we can specify and make the average person better because it's a better fit with what we're asking them to do. So I'm with you 100% on that. Yeah, I think fit, even from the, from the individual being hired, I don't think they think enough about fit. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, thought leadership takes sort of taking place about how to earn seven figures, right? And and some of it's good, but you know, part of the problem is I tell people is is yeah, you know, I get people contact me about this is is your as an individual, your odds of succeeding are really based first and foremost upon the fit. Yeah. 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 But I, I think that as as usual, there's both a um, a supply and a demand side. Uh, to this, uh, mm -hmm. on the supply side, and that is the the salesperson, um, and you know I think both our lives are good examples of this. You come right out of school. What do you know? You've got to land in a couple of airports first. So I think that search process for fit is 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 legitimate, understandable, and that's that's a big part of what you do as a young uh, sales person. You do learn the kind of sales tasks that you're not only good at, but that you enjoy, that you fulfill you right. and that, you know, allow you to execute on what you call those four C's, right? Uh, 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 curiosity, etc. On the other side, the people doing the hiring, however, and again, you, you know, my book goes through the research about this and the research about this, I think, is as close to definitive as anything you'll ever, ever read in a management book, mm -hmm. the ability of managers to predict fit on the basis of a few interviews is less than 0.5, less than the 50-50 rate 
of flipping a coin. Right. Selling is about behaviors. It's not about how they smile in the interview. And the only way to get at behaviors is to observe it, right? There are assessments you can now do. There are online uh, gaming-like technologies that are useful. And there are internship hiring scenarios that you can put in place. And when you do that, you can actually put together packages, comp packages that are very attractive and give you a, a leg up in a tough hiring world. So all of those things can be done to, to sort of get better at fit for both the buyer and the seller in the hiring market. Yeah, I, mean, I, like, I really like the idea and encourage people to, uh, did you talk about sort of the intern, paid intern, um, <laughs> apprentice, maybe even role? I mean, I, I, I don't know, when I got started in sales, sales was considered much more of an apprenticeship uh, yeah. than today. I mean, we, we onboarded, but you know, no one was going to fire us in 90 days if we you know, weren't performing up to a certain level. Because the expectation was, heck, they didn't even send me to, <laughs> for training, or not me, but you know, people at that time when we were hired, is, yeah, they staged it. We didn't even get sent to the training for what we were ultimately hired to do until we had been there six months. Yeah. Well, and we were, gonna, in the meantime, we were I'm out gonna... selling low. I'm going to run the risk of sounding like, you know, the typical Harvard professor on the one hand, this, on the other hand, that. Um, But I agree with you. And then I'm going to disagree a bit. First, I do agree with you that things have changed. You know, all this talk in the last 15, 20 years about the science of selling sales, sales is very context specific. It is not a science. Science for me is if we do X, Y, and Z, we can get that man or woman to the moon and back safely. That is just not the way Mm -hmm. sales works in the vast majority of markets. But there's been a lot of rhetoric about that as opposed to what is still a performance art. That's what what selling is. But the other thing is this is not specific to sales. Uh, You know, I, I have worked with lots and lots of companies. I sit on boards and you, you, you'll see this in the studies about people's careers. You ask people, you know, tell me about your career. What made you successful? And by far the most common response one gets is, I was lucky. I was lucky. It just so mm-hmm. happened that when I was at XYZ, there was this older guy or gal, and they may never have used the word mentor, but they did mentor me. That is, in fact, what an apprenticeship is about. And it's built into most business careers. Nobody in an interview, even your future boss, can really explain to you what it's like to work in an organization. You got to be there. It's, it's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's an existential issue, as we say. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a great point. I mean, I mean, first of all, I love the point about luck, right? I mean, yeah, I think on one hand, yeah, pretty good at what I do. But on the other hand, yeah, I happen to be at certain companies at the right time. We had sort of the right mix of product and circumstances that, you know, if I'd been there at a different time, wouldn't have had them. Yeah. yeah. But people are yeah. loath to talk about the role of role of luck and sales. I think that 
it plays a big role in <laughs> a really big role in, in sales. Well, I th that's one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever heard for uh, younger people. As a case I teach in the MBA course I started and um, uh, the entrepreneur is, is basically our age. He's, you know, in fact, he's probably mm -hmm. a bit older. But if you look at his career, he graduated from Harvard Business School, I think about 1980. If you look at his career, it's the kind of career that most young business school students say they want. I'm going to do X, then I'm going to do Y, then I'm going to be a serial entrepreneur. I'm going to make money. And I always ask him at the end of the case discussion, you know, after he's explained to us what, what happened with his latest venture, I said, you know, most of these people want to live your life, Paul. What would be your advice? And his answer is very good. He said, uh, he, he, and he prefaces it by saying, I got lucky. He said, when I left right. business school, 1981 or whatever it was, I joined a company, a small company, what was then called the cell phone industry. This is back when cell phones, you know, were, you know, the, the size of our bodies Big. or something. Right, and he right. said the firm, the, the firm didn't succeed, but I got in on the ground floor of a space that only grew dramatically over the next decade. And that's always his advice mm -hmm. to the young students. Start with a space that you're pretty sure is going to be big because lots of other opportunities open up. And that's how you make your own luck. I, I think it's good advice. Mm -hmm. I think it's very good advice. Well, and it's and it's, it's interesting to bring it up because I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday actually about this, about the virtue of patience in sales and you know the rate at which people are switching jobs irrespective of you know this great reshuffling that's going on now but even prior to that you saw the you saw this is this trend is yeah they're switching job to job oftentimes you know different segments you're not giving yourself the benefit of actually learning something and building on that as you talked about this example for this entrepreneur yeah well but again, I think it depends what the nature of the switching is. I mean, what I do think, and, you know, this has been gone for years and years and years. When you and I started out, there was still a notion. It was declining, but there was still a notion, pick a great company and stick with it for 20, 30 years. Those days are gone. That genie's out of the bottle. You're not going to put it back. By the way, this relates to our earlier topic today. This is why sales managers in particular need to focus on what you call being a sales leader, not a sales boss. You've got to be mm -hmm. worthy of that talent because it comes and it goes. Yep. You want to be the talent magnet. Now, when people switch, and this is what I see going on, and what, what, what's the jargon? We now call it the great resignation. If you look at the data, a lot of that, that was simply people taking early retirement. I mean, that was essentially what a right. lot of it was. But if you're switching, let's say from sales job A to sales job, you've been an SDR. Now you're going to be account executive at a different tech firm. I'd argue that that's somebody who's still managing their professional development and not somebody who's just chasing the next higher number. 
And then there are others that have legitimately decided, this is not for me. I don't want to do this. I'm going to do something else. And then there are mm-hmm. what I'll call the facile switchers. But um, you, right. you, you know this, humanity comes in all shapes and sizes, always has. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the last group are the people that are chasing the brass ring. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm sorry, I, I, was, I was checking the header will catch this. I was checking to see if you're still there. Um, so, yeah, let's jump into um, not be too self-serving, but we do one things we didn't talk about was, yeah, that section in my book about are you a sales leader or merely a sales boss? Because, yeah, I think it's relevant to what we've been talking about, uh, certainly, in these days where there's the uh, growth at all cost mode that many companies, many companies operate in. Uh, you know, I, for me, I sort of started thinking saying, look, is, is, you know, bosses focus more on process than on people. And this is, I think you had specifically talked about that before is that this is still, despite what people think it's a science that it's still a performance art. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. And, and, you know, if ever there was an area of business where the human capital is paramount, it's in sales. I mean, you know, we went through this in our our previous uh, discussion, but this notion that somehow it's a digital eats physical world is simply unsupported by the data. Sales remains, even in an omni-channel buying world, it remains a people-first sort of activity. That doesn't mean the digital tools are not relevant, are not changing buying processes dramatically, can help you with training Mm -hmm. and coaching and development. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of purchases are still people buying from people. So, you know, the, this, this is just built in to us as social creatures, and it's fundamentally what the sales function in any business is about. Yeah, and I think that one of the issues has been is that with the advancement of so many interesting sales technologies is that there have been, a, you know, a cohort of sales managers with a certain level of experience and expertise that thought that you could reduce the relevance or the need for the human in that, that the process and the technology could could take over much of the function of that. And I think in part because they were also sort of uncomfortable with, <laughs> with the whole uh, human yeah. aspect of it themselves. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think you're right on, on both counts. Uh, but again, I don't want to just blame sales managers. I remember I wrote a case study... Uh, at Harvard years ago, and one of the executives I interviewed said something that it took me a while to understand the the wisdom of what he was getting at. He said, Frank, you watch what you're going to see in your career. Most companies maintain their equipment better than they do their people, right? I think he was Mm -hmm. exactly right (laughs) about that. And ultimately, you get what you don't maintain, all right? That's that's a, um, a comment number one in it. But I don't think that's just sales managers. I think that's managers 
in general. And again, it becomes more important uh, when you, you know, when you're dealing in an environment where selling itself becomes tougher, either because of price or budget pressures mm-hmm. uh, and so on. And then I do think, and you know, this I do think is something we see in the tech sector. I don't want to say this is common. That would be uh, um, an illegitimate exaggeration. But there are certain people, especially in tech, who essentially their attitude is, I don't do people. I don't do emotion. You know, I don't do this. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you chose this life. Business business yeah. is a human activity. I don't remember that statement, it's by the way. It's not a machine-to-machine activity. Yeah. Well, I mean, so let me ask you a question because, yeah, you, again, you sit on a number of boards and um, to me, it seems like one of the problems that exists from a cultural standpoint in terms of how, how sales is enabled, how sellers are developed, the resources devoted to it starts right at the top. And that, yeah, I, I think frontline sales managers are sort of stranded on an island, especially... Newer ones get promoted, you know, have sort of a just a modicum of sales experience themselves, and then they don't get the resources and the training and the coaching they need to be able to help their people. And it just sort of seems that at the top, someone's saying it's good enough what we're doing. And well, and there have been I, other yeah. performance-related fields that have had real revolution. I mean, you just take professional sports as one I like to talk about. Yeah, real revolution in the way that they've developed specialized coaches and specialized technology to to really help improve performance and both from a mental and a physical standpoint. And we see almost nothing similar in sales. Well, I see a a couple of things going on um, and I think it's changing the uh, situation that, frankly, you've, I think, historically described very uh, uh, aptly. Uh, A couple of things. One is there is a sustained data revolution going on in business. This will continue Mm -hmm. throughout our lifetimes. And what I see going on, I see this in boards, I see this with companies I work with, that data gets funneled up increasingly, not through the CRO, but through the finance function. And again, Andy, you know this, finance people are annoying. They are very annoying people. Once they get data, they start to ask questions. How do you sales vice president spend all this money? Yeah, yeah, I understand the story you're giving me about top line volume, but the way we accrete enterprise value here is in terms of return on invested capital, Do you know your cost Mm -hmm. to serve, selling cycle by segment? The requirements for financial literacy in sales as a result of that are increasing dramatically. So that's one change. Mm -hmm. The other thing, however, is uh, there is a growing gap between senior executives and the sales force in many companies. I mean, this is documented in my book and, and the studies that I cite there. But, you know, one of the lesser well-known dirty secrets of companies in the last 25 years, a colleague of mine did great research about this. In the last 25 years, a number of people reporting to the CEO 
in the global 1200, on average, has doubled, twice as many. But then if you ask yourself, who are these people? What were they doing before they became senior executives? The majority of those people were not general managers in the sense in which I think you and I would use that phrase. By a GM, mm-hmm. we usually mean right. someone running a line of business or someone with P&L responsibility. Right. They tended right. to be specialists, the CIO, the CMO, the, the head of data, whatever. And reason for that is business is more complex. But the ironic result of that in many companies is that A, the C-suite itself is increasingly siloed among specialists. You know, ironically, it looks like a faculty meeting at Harvard, you know, that sort of thing. And B, fewer people than ever before have made it to the top with prolonged prior experience in customer-facing functions like sales and marketing. That's a big deal. The job of a senior executive is not to run the sales force, but it is to know the right questions to ask about their sales models, and many don't. And at the same time, the data is making the finance people quite rightly pound on sales managers for value accretion, not only the top line. And I think getting back to what we talked about originally, uh, if there's a recession and sustained inflation, that, that trend is only going to increase. Mm. So, you know, the bottom, okay. the bottom line here, Andy, is that you and I were in sales at the right time. It was easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we talked about, uh, let's see, I sold through four recessions <laughs> or, yep. or severe disruptions in, in the economy uh, so far. And it, but it is about execution, right? I mean, at, yep. for me, that's, that's always been the bottom line is, is, and I think we got away from this emphasis on, on executing to the extent that we, we could and got sloppy and lazy because of the sort of seduction of volume. But we're going to come back to a time where execution is going to be at a premium again. Yeah, or we redefined execution as, I don't know, number of clicks, number of this, number of that, as opposed uh, to the outcomes. Because again, sales and business right. is a performance art. It's about... You know, yeah. how many, you know, how many of our listeners who run sales forces, this has been true in every sales organization I've always uh, worked with, those people who do everything right except the most important thing, which is to close the sale. So, you know, that is increasingly important in, in the environment we're talking about. And yeah. that's something people do, yeah, no, I think not machines. <sighs> yeah. And it's going to be really interesting to see <laughs> over the next six months to a year exactly how people adapt because there's going to be a lot of adaptation that takes place among companies that are in that growth at all cost mode. It's uh, going to be a new reality. But, but as, as always, some figure it out, some don't. That's the glory of capitalism, the bar. Yep. You know, when I say this, people people uh, uh, say, duh, but then they, they think about it and get it. In business, you do not compete with businesses that have gone out of business. You only compete with the survivors. And to survive, you got to adapt. you got to get better. The bar is always rising, but that's good. That's part of why capitalism is a good thing socially, 
as well as economic. Right. Right. I agree. All right. Well, Frank, with that, let's wrap it up. So thank you for joining me. Andy, as always, absolute pleasure to uh, converse with you. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. Yeah. Well, no, we'll, we'll make sure we do it again before too long. And um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, well, you know, uh, there's the book you mentioned. It's called Sales Management That Works, How to Sell in a World That Never Stops Changing. It's published Harvard Business Review Press. You can go to their website. You can go to Amazon, Goodreads, all of those. And in all those places, there's a way to communicate. And I also have a uh, website, franksespedes.com, although I must confess, I can't remember the last time I actually went to the website, but it <laughs> automatically, any messages left there automatically get into my email. And then there is the all-purpose all right. LinkedIn. LinkedIn, all-purpose. That's it's funny, just on the show over the course of the last seven years, yeah, I, I sort of look at the trends of how people answer the question about where do you find me? And it's changed dramatically. Yeah, everybody leads with LinkedIn yeah. almost. So yeah, but well, they, well, Frank, they, they deserve our credit. They've done a wonderful job developing their business and oh, what yeah. they've done. And I admire them. And me too. And it is, it is where business happens. And yeah. yeah, yeah, increasingly. And so, I mean, even in my business, I mean, it's, yeah, I used to, when I sort of got that on this path of writing books and, you know, quote unquote, thought leadership is all about your blog and your email list. And it's like, no, it's all about LinkedIn today. So, but, but again, right, Andy, Frank, thank, thank you so much. Very much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Frank Cespedes, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>